The False Prince, Chapter 51 As my note had instructed, Mott, Tobias, Rodin, and Imogen were already waiting at the river entrance into the castle when we arrived. Connor looked surprised to find them there, but must have explained it away in his mind. He called to Cregan, Take this carriage back to the inn and wait for us there. I don't want it here to arouse anyone's suspicions. Have Tobias take it, Cregan said. He's not useful for anything. Then he's not useful for managing a carriage. Get going, we must hurry too, before, or because I fear we will be late. I led the way up the river. Imogen was behind me, then Connor, then Tobias, Rodin, and Mott at the last. Almost immediately, a roof of dirt and rock rose over our heads as we entered a tunnel leading beneath castle grounds. The castle walls were not much farther ahead. I had found this entrance myself at age eight. The kitchen staff all knew how often I used it to sneak in and out of the castle grounds, but they liked me and never told anyone. I finally found out when I fell into the river once and returned to the castle smelling of rotten fruit and moldy meat. Or, I was finally found out. Anyway. Um, it smells horrible in here, Tobias said. Nobody promised it'd be pleasant, I called back to him. As it grew darker, Imogen walked closer behind me. I noticed she kept one hand ready to grab my arm if she started to fall in. We reached the gate, which was in desperate need of cleaning. The gate was clogged with large, rotting chunks of food and debris. It dammed up the water so or to a higher level of reeking muck than usual. I'm going to be sick, Connor said, covering his nose with a handkerchief. The smell! I hid my smile, but do admit I enjoyed the fact that he was having a difficult time. I used the pin to pick the lock within seconds. It was an old lock with so soft tumblers. Once I was king, I'd have a better security system placed there. We went through the gate, and after a few, another few moments of walking, I informed the group that we had passed beneath the castle walls. Now that we had come this far, we were pro provided a little light by occasional oil lamps. When servants came down here, they often had their hands full and needed a, little, er, a lit path. It wasn't much light, but we were grateful for it. How much farther? Connor asked. Not far. Here, the path widened, and we were able to walk several persons across. Connor caught up to Imogen and me, and Tobias and Mott were left behind, or were behind us, and Rodin lagged behind. Keep up, Rodin, Connor scolded. We are pushing against time. Rodin answered with a shout of surprise. We turned to see the trouble, or what the trouble was. Cregan held him by the neck with his knife. Cregan, Connor yelled, what are you doing? Our group widened into a circle. Mott had his hand on his sword, but didn't, he wouldn't draw it, not unless Connor ordered it, and he wounded himself only two nights ago after I'd killed Veldegrass men. He'd be, a weak, he'd be a weakened opponent if he did have to fight. Change of plans, Cregan said, his mouth curved into a nasty sneer. Your orphan boy won't be king after all. I stepped, or I stepped forward, nodded at Rodin. But why threaten your own choice for king, Cregan? Cregan grinned evilly, then released Rodin and handed him his sword. Rodin didn't even have the courtesy to act surprised. He'd known all along that Cregan was following us. You are traitors, Connor said. Traitors to this plan, to Carthia, to me. Why, Cregan? I'm making my fortune. Once Rodin's on the throne, he will make me a noble. Then I'll take your place as regent. Won't be long before I take everything you have. Connor turned his glare to Rodin. After all I've done for you, this is your repayment? You'd have left me at Farthenwood to die, Rodin said stiffly. I owe you nothing. Then I'll have no guilt in ordering your deaths, Connor said. Mott finished, Mott finished them. Before Mott was able to withdraw his sword, Cregan advanced it with his knife and said, Mott can't kill both Rodin and me before one of us gets to either you or your phony prince. Rodin is better with a sword than you might imagine. I trained him myself. Rodin arched his head. And for the, that brief time I was your prince, you told me everything I need to know to convince the regents. Regents. Not everything, Connor said. You won't succeed. Yes, I will, Rodin said. Only Cregan and I can go on from here. Hand me the crown, Sage. 
If you cooperate, everyone leaves in peace. Maybe Roden believed that, but I couldn't tell him from the expression, or I could tell from the expression on Cregan's face that he had no plans for any of us to leave here alive. Sir, Maud asked, other than Cregan and Roden, he was the only one carrying a weapon. I don't know, for the first time since we met. Connor sounded weak. I didn't expect... We're at a standoff, I said calmly. Maybe you and Roden will get one of us. Maybe even your small brain, Cregan, or maybe even with your small brain, Cregan, you must know that Mott will get one of you too. Whether it's you or Roden who falls, neither of you can win this way. Cregan's face fell. He had not expected us to call his bluff. The stronger of us should be crowned, I continue. Can we all agree on that? Roden nodded. Hesitantly, Cregan and Connor did as well. Then Roden and I fight. The winner goes to the castle. Do you accept the challenge, Roden? Your back is still injured, Mott warned. Good point. If Roden wants to make it a fair fight, then how about if I'm the only one with a sword? I grinned, but nobody else liked the joke. Cregan licked his lips, savoring the idea of seeing me fall. It was never going to be a fair fight, boy. Roden's too strong. Roden looked at Cregan, then to me. Okay, the winner advances to the throne. Please give me the crown instead, Sage. I don't want to kill you. Luckily, or lucky coincidence, I don't really want to be killed. That infuriated him. Stop making a joke of this, as if I'm no threat. I'm better at the sword than you might expect, and I've seen you fight. I removed the crown from my hand and or from my head and handed it to Mott. Don't let it get dirty. Let me have your sword. It's heavier than the prince's was, Mott said. I locked eyes with him. Mott, your sword. With an obedient nod, he handed it to me. Rodin attacked immediately while I was still facing Mott. One of the advantages of being a left-handed person who had been forced to train with his right hand. I blocked his advance with my left hand, then rotated toward him and struck him hard with, at the, his weaker side. Ronan stumbled back with an expression of surprise at my abilities, but he quickly advanced again and swung harder at me. He'd improved significantly since I, last fought my, er, since I last fought him, and those were only in practices. This time, his blows were intended to kill, and he watched for me to make even the tiniest mistake. "'You were faking before,' he said, parrying my thrust. "'You've been trained to fight.' If you knew my father, you'd know I was trained for, for show. He never intended for me to actually fight. Roden smiled and cut toward me, aiming low. I'm still better than you. Perhaps, but I'm handsomer, don't you think? That took Roden off guard, and I was able to swing around the, and kick him in the side. He fell to the ground, but kept his sword ready. I started toward him with my blade. All it would take was a quick slash, and this match would be over, but I hesitated. Could I strike after promising to save his life? If he wasn't chosen prince, did I still owe him that? I backed up to higher ground. This match would not end with his death. You could have killed me there, Roden said, leaping to his feet and advancing. Why didn't you? Oh. Roden came to his own answer. He grinned as he engaged my sword again. I should have known from when you stabbed Veldegrass men. You don't have the stomach for killing. Fortunately for you, I do. Then he brought his sword down from over his head. The force of his blade crashed against mine, set me off balance, and I stumbled down the bank. In the limited space where we had... Er, in the limited space we had been between the wall and the water. Roden continued edging me toward the river. I didn't like the idea of falling in. I'd lose the sword fight and possibly my life. Also, I'd end up smelling really bad. Our blades moved faster and harder, but Roden's confidence was unshakable. If Cregan had chosen him for his natural ability, then he had chosen well. I wish Roden could be on my side after this, because he'd make an excellent captain of the guard. Finally, my boot hit on a rock, throwing me off balance, but Mott and Mott's sword fell from my hand. I dove for it, but it slid into the river. Behind us, Cregan laughed, sensing victory. Roden lowered my sword and walked up to me, his blade near my throat. I arched my head and backed into a squatting position, but the blade followed me. 
Do you offer mercy? I asked. If you accept that I win this challenge, if you concede that I win and give me that crown, then you and the others may go in peace. That is the mercy I offer. I am Prince Jaren. If you were Jaren, then you would never have fallen for a simple trick like this. I flung my leg to the side and swept it beneath Rodan's feet. He landed on his back with a hoarse grin. I grabbed the rounded edge of the blade and wrenched it from his grasp, then stood and aimed it at his, at his throat. Rodan closed his eyes. It's what you said you would do in the, on our very first day, he mumbled. Beg mercy and trick your opponent. Ugh, I'd forgotten. No, Cregan yelled. Not him. He ran at me with his knife outstretched. Mott stepped between us and grabbed his hand, twisting it behind his back. To regain his balance, Cregan clutched at the crown in Mott's other hand. Mott stabbed him in the back with the knife, and Cregan fell into the water, pulling the crown in with him as well. Blood seeped over the water as both the crown and Cregan's body were carried downstream. I surrender, Roden said, lowering his head. Do what you must. I placed a hand on his shoulder and pulled my sword away. I'd have brought you with me into the court, Roden. We could have been friends. Roden shook his head. I don't need friends. All I wanted was the throne. Please just kill me here. My words had been sincere, and it was difficult to remove my hand. Go away then. Run and never find me again. Roden looked up at me in an attempt to determine whether it was another trick, but I motioned with my head for him to leave and lowered the sword. Wordlessly, Roden scrambled to his feet and ran out from the tunnel. His footsteps echoed in the tunnel until he'd gotten too far for us to hear any more. Hear him any more. The crown, Connor said, standing near the edge of the dark water. There's a chance it'll get carried on Cregan's body. I'm sorry. There's a chance it'll get carried on Cregan's body back to the gate, Tobias said. It's probably sunk already, Connor said. Let me try to find it, Tobias turned to me. Sage, when you are king, let me be one of your servants. Be my friend instead, I said. Go find the crown. Tobias bowed and ran back down the, down the river. Above us, we could hear the faint toiling of bells. Tolling of bells. The meeting's begun, Connor shouted. We have to hurry. There's only minutes to spare. I started forward, then gasped and stumbled to my knees. You're hurt? Mott cried, then called to Connor. Wait. I can help him. Imogen didn't flinch in the moment of Connor's and Mott's shock at hearing her speak, but continued. You two secure the kitchen and stall the meeting. I can get Sage there. Connor's strained voice revealed the panic he felt. Sage? Just get to that meeting. I looked directly at Mott. Go now. Mott nodded and took Connor's arm. Sir, Prince Jaren will be there. Let's go. I will get there in time, I told Connor. Have Mott secure the kitchen for us. They ran ahead and Imogen knelt beside me. You knew about Roden and Cregan. How? It was their last chance to make Roden the prince. <coughs> she reached for the hem of her skirt, intending to tear off strips for bandage. Where are you hurt? Nowhere. Everything's fine. Really? I smiled and held out my arms to prove it to her. I just needed a reason to get separated from Connor. Do you think Mont has secured the kitchen yet? I don't know. I don't understand. You, you, you faked that injury? I've got to go now. There's not much time left. I stood to leave, but she grabbed my heart, my arm, your crown. I won't need it. Sage, will you make me one promise? I'm sorry. Will you make me one promise, Imogen? She pressed her lips together, then said, what is it? This was harder to ask than I'd expected, but I forced the words out. Next time we meet, things will be different. Will you try to forgive me? Forgive you for what? Becoming the prince? Because I understand now why you're doing it. No, you don't, but you will. If there's any reason for forgi to forgive me, will you try to do it? She nodded. There was so much trust in her eyes, so much innocence. She had no idea what she was agreeing to. I kissed her cheek, then said, Wait here until Tobias returns with the crown. With that, he'll be able to get you both through the throne room. 
and through to the throne room. I wish I could take you with me, but this last part I have to do alone. Go then, and may the devils give you clearance. The devils wouldn't be a problem. It was the regents I needed on my side. Whew. Okay, chapter 52. A meeting of the regents was in full progress when Connor breathlessly entered the throne room. He was the only one who had come in late, and his arrival caused an unwelcome disruption. If there were any occasions for you to arrive on time, Lord Connor, this would have been it. The man who spoke was Joth Kerwin, High Chamberlain to King Eckbert. He was almost as much a part of the castle as the bricks and mortar have been served, or having served the king for his entire life. It wasn't a large or powerfully built man, quite the opposite, in fact, and yet he could command a room of a thousand with just the wave of his hand. There was one who had been more loyal, or there was no one who had been more loyal to King Eckbert, and few who ever loved Carthia so much. The lines on his aging face told the stories of years and years of worry and the weight of counseling royalty on their most difficult decisions. Now he was facing the greatest task of his career, peaceably finding a new king for Carthia. Because if civil war broke out amongst the different fractions vying for the throne, Carthia's enemies would use the opportunity to advance on the country and destroy it. Connor gave a polite bow to Kerwin. My lord high chamberlain, I have or I had trouble getting here. Forgive me, please. There were 19 other regents in the room, seated, seated according to their rank, at a long rectangular table. Connor's place was near the end, but he hoped that by the close of the evening he would replace Valdegrath at the head of the table. This was a vain and largest, largely useless group, few who had ever worked a real day in their lives. Even if they knew the risk and expense Connor had undergone to bring a prince to the throne, they would never appreciate the valiancy of his efforts. Connor accepted that it would be, or it was his role to save Carthia, but this collection of stiff-necked, silk-wrapped snobs would never understand that. "'You may take your seat,' Kerwin said. "'I have already made the announcement formally declaring King Eckbert and his queen and son to be dead. "'In only moments, the death bell will toll, one round for each royal.' "'Almost immediately, the bells sounded throughout the castle. "'Their ring would carry beyond the ex or outskirts of the capital city "'and would signal to the commoners that a royal had died. Three patterns of the bells would confirm the rumors were true. "'The entire royal family,' was gone. When the bells fell silent, Kerwin continued. Lords Mead, Beckett, and Hentower, who traveled to Issel this past week, have confirmed for us that Prince Jaren must have died in the pirate attack four years ago. Therefore, we were, are left with no alternative but to... There is something more to that story. Connor's words were smug and tilted toward the self-righteous, or till the self-righteous. This was a speech he had practiced so often in his head that he could repeat it in his sleep. May I speak, Lord Kerwin? Kerwin nodded permission at him, and Connor stood. With deference to my fellow regents who searched for proof of Jaren's death this past week, they are wrong. Prince Jaren survived the pirate attack four years ago. He still lives. He is the rightful heir to the throne and should be crowned this night the King of Carthia. Valdegrath stood, pointing a long finger at Connor. Then I was right. You did have him hidden in your home. Only for his protection, Lord Valdegrath, until now. Surely you can see his being alive may threaten anyone else who ho hoped to become king tonight. Is that an accusation? Valdegrath began hurling obscenities at Connor. The two regions on either side of him held back, or held him back, and other regions around the table murmured loudly to one another. Finally, Kerwin stepped forward. So where is this prince of yours, Lord Connor? He's coming. As I said before, we had trouble getting in here. Naturally you did. I'm told there were several Prince Jarens who had trouble getting here. Connor spoke above the chuckles of his peers. They didn't let anyone through the gate. No doubt the prince will punish the guards for there for fa failing to recognize him. If he were the prince, he would have known how to get through. The royals always know how to get through. He must have forgotten. Connor's pa face paled, 
and he held on to the table for support. But Prince Jaron will be here. Then you'll see. Hearing footsteps in the hallway, he turned to the doors of the throne room expectantly. Almost as if on cue, somebody did enter, but it was not who he hoped to see. Mott, Connor said. Only regents are allowed in this meeting, Veldegrasse said. You may wait with the other guests and nobles on the great hall. in the great hall. That's where the new king will greet his people. Mott seemed to see only Connor in the room. He isn't here. He came through the kitchen a long time ago. Perhaps your false prince is lost in the castle, another regent said to a laughter in the room. He grew up here. Of course he's not lost. It was an attempt at confidence, but desperation cut too clearly through Connor's words. I propose we continue this meeting, Veldegrath waited until all eyes on him, then added, We must not keep the people waiting, and I'm sure whoever is chosen as king will want to speak to Lord Connor on the subject of treason. Then, something must have happened in the adjoining room, the great hall where hundreds of citizens had gathered to wait for the announcement of the new king. What had been a steady hum of conversation suddenly fell silent. From or behind Mott, a single servant burst through the doors. Forgive me, regents, he said, forgetting the customary bow of his head, but you should all come into the great hall as quickly as possible. Although there were twenty men and women of great status and power, well-trained in decorum and manners, no one would have known by the way they hurried from the throne room. The only one who did not push his way out was Kerwin, who slid through a secret door between the throne room and the great hall. He was the first to see what had caused the entire crowd in the great hall to fall silent. For Prince Jaron was standing at the head of the room.